Well, the scan is functioning. Looks like desert to me. Hmm? Oh, look! Spaceships! a dumping ground. No, I don't think so, my boy, no. No, uh, all those things up there come from a different period. Well, there isn't any sign of life. Mm. Look, that's a building. What do you make of that, Doctor? Well, I'm afraid I can't give you any answers here, my dear. You mean you want to go and have a closer look, eh? Yes, I don't see why not. Uh. After all, the readings say it's quite safe. Safe? Hmm? Well, the readings don't always tell us everything, you know. <laughs> well, look. Look, you see where we've landed? On a museum, hmm? A museum? Hmm. A space museum, yes. <laughs> Precisely. If you take a closer look at those objects, you'll see that some of them are more advanced in design. It's quite a natural progression. Well, well, someone must be in charge of them. Yes, we shall find that out. And I'm sure you will agree with me that there are several things that we would like an answer to. So I suggest we go outside and take a look for ourselves, hmm? Live from the fringes of the Morak Empire, where space museums are still a pretty bad idea, it's Doctor Who Podshot. Welcome to Doctor Who Podshock. This is Doctor Who Podshock episode 55 for the week of Monday the 16th of October 2006. My name is James Norton and I'm here with my wonderful American colleagues, uh, Louis Trapani. Hello. And of course, the fantastic Mr. Ken Deep. Hello. <laughs> so let's not mince any words and get straight into the news this week. Our usual newsroom chap, Mr. Lewis Trapani, what is going on in the world of Doctor Who this week? Okay, so we won't mince words. I was all set with my little mincer and I was about to start mincing. <laughs> but <laughs> Blue Peter, who last year was um, who last year had did it did a contest who could create a doctor who monster and that monster would be featured in doctor who and if you may remember the winner of the of the contest designed the um the absorbaloff and that was then portrayed and featured in uh portrayed by peter k and featured in love and monsters this year they're doing it again but not only um but they're changing it around so um, it's not designing a creature. You have an opportunity to actually appear in Doctor Who in the 2007 series or series three, and not just as a background extra, but in an actual speaking role. And this is uh, Blue Peter is expected to make this announcement on well on Monday. We're recording this on Sunday, the day before. So uh, by the time this podcast goes out, the announcement should have been made already. And it's being uh, it's open to. All Doctor Who fans, 14 years and younger. So that's sort of... I just missed out on it. So... <laughs> but 
uh, we do have listeners that are in that age range, and um, so and if you're interested, check out Blue Peter, and I'm sure by the time this podcast goes out, they'll have information on their website, on their rules, and how to, uh, what's involved in, in, um, you know, in this contest. So isn't that cool? Um, Very cool. I always love the fact that Blue Peter do this. It's, I wish... Again, I've said this many times before, but I wish I was younger so that I could enter. It would be really awesome to have the opportunity to to do that. And it's great that they're really capturing kids' imaginations and allowing them to enter competitions and and be a part of Doc 2. Because I think when I was a kid, that's what I really wanted was to... It would have been fantastic to have a part in Doc 2 or be involved in it in some way. Um, which I think is why so many of um, the production team have wanted so much to be a part of the series is because it was kind of like their their childhood dream and they still can't believe that, that they have the opportunity to work on the show. Yeah, last year they when they did this contest and the, and the winner was nine-year-old um, William Grantham and there were 43,920 entries, the most ever that a Blue Peter competition had since 1993. So uh, it's clearly they're expecting a a big, you know, sensation, a big um, rally with this contest as well. And Blue Peter has always had a longstanding relationship with Doctor Who. In fact, uh, one of the former presenters, Peter Purves, uh, was a companion, you know, played a part of um, in in Doctor Who itself. So um, others connected with the series is Sarah Green, Janet um, Ellis, and Christopher Wiener. If I'm mispronouncing his last name, I do apologize. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it's a, it, I think it's great that both shows are cooperating, you know, in this matter and getting fans um, and, and viewers involved in the show directly. Indeed. I just wanted to make a little comment about a convention update last podcast, and uh, we had reported at Doctor Who in the Cavern at the time. Um, they just I, I accidentally listed their last year's uh, lineup and they didn't have anyone listed for this year. Since then, uh, I got a, a message from Erica Egerton, who's uh, part of the uh, the the force behind Doctor Who in the Cavern. Um, when, anyway, they have lined up so far for this year's Taron Sticks, um, who's a former script editor and um, and writer for Doctor Who. He's done great amount of uh, target novelizations. Any of Doctor Who fans are probably familiar with the name. Also lined up is uh, Annika Wills, who played Polly in Doctor Who. So, and they're still lining up guests. Isn't, uh, yeah, so there's Terence Dix, of course, and I heard rumor maybe Sophie Aldred. Oh, okay. I think, mm-hmm. um, of course, who played Ace, the seventh Doctor's companion. Um, so I don't know if that's been confirmed since um, since you received that message, but I heard rumor that possibly Sophie Aldred was going along. Very interesting, yeah. So yeah. Well, it's still a way off away. It's May of 2007, so they still have plenty of time to um, line up more guests, and I'm sure the lineup will be a sensational lineup, just as it was last year. And, yeah. Um, hopefully um, Colin and I don't know if James, if you'll be back in town for that or not in May. So, but hopefully we'll have some representation there and coverage. 
Definitely. Uh, or if not, I'm sure that uh, one of you guys out there, our wonderful listeners, may be going along and would like to uh, give us some feedback about the event and so on. Or indeed, that's true of any convention that you might be happening to go along to. If, you, uh, if there is a Doctor Who guest there, we'd love to hear from you and let us know what the event was like and who was there and what was going on. It's cool to hear from uh, the man on the street, so to speak. Well, the women on the street... Or the woman on the street, indeed. We don't discriminate here at Doctor Who Podshock. Or small furry creatures on the street as well. From Alpha Centauri. From Alpha Centauri. Of course. I'm just glad that they've already started announcing guests. I think that's a, you know, a major part of a fan's plans to go to a convention is uh, you know, when you know, oh, this is the lineup I want to see. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, but, I mean, of course, I think every convention guest... Um, of course, is subject to to professional commitments, but um, I'm sure no matter who's going, I'd certainly had a fantastic time at uh, the cavern, and I know there were certain people who pulled out at the last minute, um, like Fraser Hines, who could sadly couldn't oh, make yeah, it. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. But uh, the still, it will be an awesome event. But I totally agree; it's great that they have started to sort out who's going to be going because that is a very important part of. Of, uh, if indeed you do go along to a convention or not. Yes, I agree. So we'll keep you posted as um, as the time gets um, closer. Thelma Barlow will be in Doctor Who. She's going to be um, playing a character who is um, we're we're going to assume is going to be a. A villain. What was the character's name again? Do you remember? Lady Thor, I Lady believe. Lady Thor, yes. So I pre it almost sounds like it's something to do with freezing or something along those lines. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she's playing some form of alien that can freeze people or something. <laughs> Thelma Barlow is uh, probably best well known for her work on Coronation Street. And of course, uh, Dinner Ladies. Um, Coronation Street is a hugely popular soap opera here in the UK. And Dinner Ladies was also a, a very popular um, comedy show um, fronted by um, the fantastic Victoria Wood. So she's um, definitely a, a, a public name. Perhaps she won't be known by, you know, people won't know her as Thelma Barlow, but they definitely would know the face and the character because she she always plays this kind of uptight, hoity-toity sort of um, person. I, so I, I don't know. It, it is kind of the Maureen Lipman, it would seem, of of the, the fourth series. Yeah, no, the yeah. third series. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> but, That's uh, Yeah, she I, played I Mavis on Coronation Street and uh, Mrs. Henderson... Um, no, 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 no. In, a, in films, yeah. I think it, uh, yes. Mrs. Um, Henderson presents... Um, Marple. And, no, Marple and Doctors. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm babbling here. <laughs> Thelmer, I think, is what she played in um, Dinner Ladies. Yeah. She, I don't know. I couldn't remember the character's name, but I knew she was in, indeed, uh, Dinner Ladies. Because that was the what she did last I, that I could think of. She was in Coronation Street for a long, long time, but left um, many years ago, I think, now. So, But it, I don't know. I I don't know quite what to make of it, um, 
But I, as again, in Russell we trust. I'm sure she will be fantastic, just as uh, we were kind of, I don't know about you guys, but I was a bit unsure about Maureen Lipman, but she did a terrific job as The Wire. So, yes, um, yeah. mm -hmm. Who can say? We'll just have to wait and see. It's all exciting stuff that we're hearing um, about what's going to be going down in, in the third series. Mm -hmm. uh, James, I think you wanted to talk about Billy Piper's new autobiography. Yes, uh, this is for me, I know about um, everybody else out there, but I think this is quite crazy in that Billy Piper is 23, which is seems like to me like no time really to, to be writing an autobiography. And I think she, even herself, um, is uh, recognizes that fact. She says, it may sound ridiculous being just 23, but I've got a few good stories I'd like to share. I'm hoping the book will be honest, funny, insightful, and above all, life-affirming. This is a chance for me to talk openly about other areas of my life, things that people won't know, things that I'm hoping lots of people can relate to and maybe even be inspired by. And according to the uh, Doctor Who website, the book promises to be frank, a frank account of Billy's life in the limelight, including her acclaimed stint on Doctor Who. Parents of younger fans should bear in mind that it is aimed at an older audience. Well, I could have told you as much because, uh, well, yes, she's known for being a bit of a saucy character, is Billy, from time to time. Um, but the book is going to be entitled Growing Pains, and will be published on the 19th of October. So by the time this podcast comes out, um, it may even be in shops already. But I just think that's insane to be um, releasing an autobiography so soon. Um, obviously, if she's got some really cool stories to tell, she should write a book. But for heaven's sakes, don't call it an autobiography because you've still got you know, so much time ahead of you. And I would hate to write my autobiography at such a, a tender age. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I know John Pertwee did a autobiography, uh, Moon Boots and Dinner Suits, and uh, which he, he, he purposely did to one point. I mean, but he must've been in his, um, gee, uh, he, he, that book must've, when he, that came out, he must've been, I would venture to say in his 60s or early or late 50s or I don't know. He was somewhere in that ballpark, yeah. you know, but which covered like the first half of his life. And then he had planned on then continuing it with another autobiography to cover the rest. Yeah, yeah. But that's kind of you can kind of understand that that's more of an acceptable time. Whereas 23, come on. Oh, yeah, yeah. I Hey, <laughs> I agree. You know, she's she's. Barely 900 years old. <laughs> Not. <laughs> I don't even think the Doctor would release uh, an autobiography after 900 years of travelling in the TARDIS or whatever. So It's yeah. crazy. Insane stuff. Yeah. I don't know about you chaps, but I can only think of one other news story um, of any real sort of... Um, credit or momentum and it's on the website this is london.co.uk and uh, it's of course uh, rather strangely entitled the bbc accused of profiteering from doctor who toys what a concept um 
The BBC apparently is using Doctor Who to tap into pester power as it bids to exterminate rivals in what will be a fierce Christmas toy war. Nice use of punnage there. Um, a raft of expensive toys and gadgets from a Cyberman voice changer helmet through to a remote control canine and electronic TARDIS are set to top wish lists. Industry leaders believe that the Doctor Who BBC merchandise could be the BBC's biggest money-spinning product range since the Teletubbies, at least in the UK. Uh, the BBC's commercial arm will take an undisclosed royalty from the more than 500,000 themed toys and more than 1 million action figures sold over the next 10 weeks. As a result, the corporation is expected to collect more than £5 million from the merchandise. So, I don't know about you chaps, but for me, I think this is all good news because the, the article is putting it in a very bad light because, of course, the BBC is a public corporation. It is effectively owned by the people. We pay a license fee to them, and it is this a non-profit organization, a non-profit uh, company. So any money that it does make will go directly back into making programs or uh, introducing content, whatever that may be, whether over the internet or whether uh, digitally or through terrestrial. So surely this is good that they're going to at least pocket about £5 million, which will mean that that will then go on to create um, a, a better standard of content. Um, Lewis was saying to me off air <laughs> that it would be fantastic if they could use this five million pounds to perhaps uh, allow the Doctor to travel to other alien worlds other than just Earth. Because yes. uh, <laughs> get him off know, this bloody rock. <laughs> yeah, we know from past experience that uh, it's not just here on Podshock, but uh, a lot of fans would like the Doctor to kind of leave Earth behind and go on more adventures. Um, in other the parts yeah, of the, the galaxy. The TARDIS was to travel in time and space. Um, <laughs> not just in time. Um, but and even <laughs> even when we have seen when the Doctor does go uh, to other worlds or other um, situations, like on other space stations and things, it has been largely to do with humans, um, like the girl in the fireplace, for instance, um, like things like um, Bad Wolf and so on, it's all been, um, or the Impossible Planet, it's all been centered around humans, even when they've not been tied to Earth. And I think we'd like to see some more aliens and so on in the coming series. I don't know, maybe, maybe uh, Russell T. Davis wants to kind of ground it in Earth for a little while longer just to get people interested in the show and not to alienate people for uh, want of a I, I better think word after two years i think and and the success that they time, had yeah. i think it's yeah I, I think they've already won over everyone and now it's it's time to uh get our moon boots on as i just mentioned with john pertwee's autobiography and start um getting out there mm, <laughs> mm, mm. once again we were speaking uh earlier about uh the relationship that blue peter had with doctor who there's um uh, another relationship that Doctor Who's had a long-standing with, and that's children in need. And this year, they, uh, they're to that end, they're doing a concert, and Murray Gold and the Doctor Who team are working together with the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and the BBC National Cho uh, Chorus of Wales to uh, put together this um, 
this concert a called Doctor Who a celebration and it takes place on the 19th of November which is a Sunday at 6 30 p.m. and the tickets are being sold and uh, priced at 20 16 and 14 and 10 pounds for children uh, under the age of 16 will be charged half price so and and this is all benefiting uh, children in need so we encourage uh, our listeners to, uh, to to attend the concert if they can, and a lot of our listeners are express their um, their delight in the music for um, that Murray mm-hmm. Gold's been you know composing for Doctor Who, and the soundtrack is um, um, that's another piece of news that, that I guess we should include it in today's podcast that the soundtrack is slated to be released on the third week of November. It's no official release date has been set, but it's speculated to be released then. The soundtrack will also contain. Um, pieces from uh runaway bride the the christmas um special that's coming up in december so the album if it does come out the third week of november uh will have music from an episode that hasn't even been transmitted yet and that's uh, pretty cool yeah 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 so this concert that i'm speaking of a doctor who a celebration is uh the 19th which is pretty much the third week of november so it you know hopefully the album you know will coincide with this uh concert it would be a, that would be a nice um nice happy i don't know if it's coincidence or intentional but it it it, it seems to go well together mm, mm. the we should also mention that um the soundtrack will have because i know there was some speculation about what will be included on the soundtrack and uh, our information tells us that Song for Ten, uh, the, the melody that was heard while the Doctor chooses this new outfit in um, the last Christmas special, the Christmas, Christmas invasion, invasion, yeah, that will be included as well as the uh, that departure melody as well that was played in Doomsday when uh, the Doctor and Rose are separated, and that's included. So, and of course, the theme and other highlights from the 2005 and 2006 series. Um, and as, as I just said, you know, including Runaway Bride, which is presumably part of the 2007 series. But of course, um, we've not heard any news whether this will be released digitally on the internet, which is something which I think a lot of people, including myself, will be very interested in because... Um, now I tend to buy more yeah. digital mm-hmm. music than I do uh, CDs, be it over iTunes or Napster or however you will be uh, acquiring your music. I think it's quite important. I, I, I really hope that the BBC get this off the ground because, I mean, CD sales are, are, are one thing and another, but iTunes now is the main uh, download source. And I think it's number four or number five in the U.S. Yes, so, as far uh, as retailers go, including brick-and-mortar shops, yes. So I really hope that they get this off the ground because um, as digital music takes over and becomes more important to people, I, I think that uh, the BBC would be very silly not to include it on the iTunes Music Store or on Napster or on Rhapsody or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's, well, I, we're hoping that it will be released. Um, I mean, most, I, I, you know, I can't say all, but I would say most newer uh, albums that are released are, are being released through those channels. And there's still some holdout, you know, groups and bands and composers. But anyone that's um, hip to the 21st century are going to be releasing it. To, it. If you don't release it in a legal digital form where you could purchase it, then people are just going to 
may yeah, just get it from it other. Anyway. Yeah, from yeah, other. Yeah. So it's an open invite uh, to to, to encourage, have piracy. Yeah. You know, illegal downloads and trading or whatever. If you don't give that option for people to buy it digitally. We reported in our last podcast that Torchwood will be um, shown on the 22nd of October. And mm-hmm. since that time, we were unsure of the exact time. We have learned it's 9 p.m. on Sundays. And mm-hmm. it's starting um, a week from today as, you know, as we're recording this on Sunday the, the 15th. So we're all psyched for the new series. Definitely. And um, I just have to um, remind everybody out there that a fantastic source for information. I mean, I know that the, the, the BBC Torchwood website has recently gone live, but um, unfortunately, yeah. a lot of the content on there is for um, UK, only. UK only, which yeah. to me at the moment is a bit of a pain because, of course, I'm in the Netherlands at the moment and to Lewis and Ken and a wonderful American. Uh, well, all we listeners. can see is like pictures. <laughs> There's yeah, like no information. But also, it, well, interestingly, they have a section on the BBC Torchwood website about uh, catch-up episodes. So, I think they may even be op- offering, possibly only to UK um, viewers. But uh, they ha- they're offering a catch-up to- episodes. I mean, and they're not offering mustard episodes. Oh, that was bad. Oh, God. That's terrible. That's terrible. But I I was going to say that a good alternative than the BBC Torchwood website, I think I I recommended last week, is is a website called Torchwood TV. And you Mm -hmm. can find that at torchwoodtv.blogspot.com. Uh, and it's a guy has been uh, who calls himself um, <laughs> rather strangely is, is Jack Harkness, and uh, I guess uh, that's kind of almost a no-brainer there. But um, he has been blogging about Torchwood, believe it or not, for the past year. And he, there, I must say that there, there is a lot of information there, obviously, because he's been doing it for over a year. Some of it is spoilers, but it's kind of nicely uh, organized, and it always does explain when there are spoilers. So, um, you know, don't be too alarmed about that. Um, But I think it's just a a great place for uh, you to catch up on the old Torchwood news. Well, now that Torchwood's that we know it's um, at 9 p.m. on Sundays, it's up against Prime Prime Suspect on ITV. Uh, I'm not familiar with this. Are you familiar with the show at all, James? I've never actually seen it, but um, as the name would, uh, as you would suspect from the name, it is actually a, a crime um, series. Um, I'm not sure whether it is um, headlined by uh, Helen Miriam anymore, but it, she used to be uh, the main character. Uh, who was uh, Detective Superintendent Jane Tennyson. Um, but uh, as I say, I don't know if she's heading it anymore. I believe that she was when I... Because it's on TV and I've never seen a full episode, but I've kind of watched bits of it. And I know back in 2003 or possibly 2004, um, uh, that's when mm-hmm. uh, it was last is, is on, it a, I think. Is it a high rating? Is, does it get high viewership? Is this something that, that Torture should be concerned about? Well, let me put it this way. I, th- I think it's been on since the 
the very early 90s, possibly 1990 or 1991. Wow. Um, it's, it's definitely been on for a very, very long period. Um, and I think um, that they... I don't know if they cancelled it. Um, cancelled is, is never a very good word for British television. Um, they never really cancel things. They just seem to put them on hiatus, shall we say. And I think Doctor Who is a, a prime example of that. Um, but I think that they stopped production in 2003. And I think they've decided to um, start it up again because... Um, Helen Mirren is a fantastic actress. She's been in things like Calendar Girls. She's, there's a new film that she's in called The Queen where she plays Queen Elizabeth II. She's just a terrific actress. So um, I, I don't know whether... I think it will be very hard for... Um, Torchwood to to go up against that, but having said that, I think it will be a different style of audience that watches Torchwood um, compared to uh, that which watches Prime Suspect, um, because uh, I know that, that that Doctor Who has a very uh, large audience that spans all sorts of generations, but Torchwood is definitely a lot more adult mm -hmm. in terms of its content. And that is reflected in the fact that it is shown uh, post-Watershed um, on BBC Three, which is a, a digital-only channel, uh, because they, uh, the BBC, what they tend to do is they tend to release their kind of experimental stuff, for want of a better word, on BBC Three before then, if it's successful, then they show it on BBC One or it's repeated on BBC well, One. We, we've, we've learned, um, and I haven't got a direct confirmation from this, and, um, that BBC Two will be showing repeats of Torchwood on Wednesday yes. nights. Yeah, that is normal. Um, and, and we should explain that BBC Two is a terrestrial um, yes. broadcast um, channel. That's right. So you do, you do not require digital or cable to receive it. You can just get it through the terrestrial channels, through the, the airwaves. Um, so uh, that's quite normal. I, I can think of the, the best example I can think of is, is Little Britain, which was mm -hmm. a television program which was originally shown only on BBC Three, but because it became so popular... Um, in order to, for, for the BBC to kind of showcase it and, and allow as many people as possible to view it, they eventually um, put it onto BBC Two and then I think onto BBC One um, because it was such a, such a success. And I think that's really what they use BBC Three for as kind of a showcase to determine how well a, sh a show mm -hmm. does. And then if it becomes um, successful, they, they will uh, put it up... Um, uh, the pecking order onto t the terrestrial channels. Yeah. But uh, speaking of the website and things, um, there's loads of trailers, of course, leaked all over the internet and, and on the website, um, uh, including this, a Cyberwoman. Um, but yeah. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Um, now, I'm and, wondering if this is connected to Doomsday with the, you know, the 
you know, at all. You know, the episode Doomsday where we had the cyber yes. Cybermen, um, the alternate Earth or Pete's World Cybermen's um, infiltrating our Earth, and then they got all sucked back into. Well, oh, I shouldn't be spoiler alert. <laughs> there might be some. All right, let me. <laughs> For uh, U.S. viewers, yeah, this yeah. Is I, well, anyway, there, there might have. Uh, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Okay, uh, there may have been some transformed Cybermen that weren't sucked back, perhaps, and maybe this is um, one of them. I don't know. We'll have to wait. Yeah, and see. I don't know because the, she appears to be mostly. Not Organic. Yeah, yeah, she's not fully cybertized. Which, uh, but even even okay, this is a spoiler, so you may want to skip ahead uh, ten or twenty seconds. But of course, the in the two thousand and six series two, uh, it's just their brains that are put into a suit of armor, not their entire bodies, which is what was happening with previous uh, mm-hmm. cyberifications, if you want to call it. That's that. right. Yeah. Good point. Um, but, just, so I'd, this appears to be just a person with some modifications. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe this is the origins of of the Cybermen in in the modern day. I, I don't know because it's never quite show, explicitly shown uh, the parallel side of things. Maybe this is on this Earth where how the Cybermen are created on this Earth. Well, this but, Earth it's supposed to be Mondas, and it's going conflict with the whole yes, established yes. history. So it's uh, going a bit crazy. But who knows? But there's going to be, very similar to um, Doctor Who Confidentials, yes. there is going to be a behind-the-scenes show called Torchwood Declassified, which is something that a lot of people have been asking about because uh, I think now Doctor Who Confidential is something which goes hand-in-hand hand with Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and people love it and, and are so enthusiastic about how the series is made that they were very keen to know if, if, if the BBC were going to be doing and, a similar thing. And wasn't Doctor Who Confidential on BBC Three? It was right after they showed Doctor Who, yes. and then you would switch over to BBC Three for Doctor Who Confidential. So I, we can only assume, we don't know for a fact, whether or not... Um, Torchwood declassified would be right followed obviously on BBC three would be followed up you know right after it or another time perhaps I don't know I've I've not done enough research into the subject but I was uh, I can't remember where I read it but I read a few weeks ago that it, it would be only offered over the internet oh um, okay very right. much so then... like what they did with the the, the, the confidentials the cut downs they, yeah. they showed them on the internet as well as BBC three but I do, please don't take that mm-hmm. as um, completely you know, valid information everything because I don't is kind of you know coming out right now it's everything's so everything's subject to change as we report it here and by the time this gets out you know th- there could be other changes and more news to report so it's just we're, we're in that time right now where everything is you know changing from day to day and new yeah. news is coming out so yeah. all right Any other? Should... i'm sorry go ahead no, I was just going to mention as the final news point that I, I should mention that uh, the reason why, why Ken is so quiet today is because he's feeling a little bit under the, we- the weather, bless him. Yeah, he's not he feels feeling better. too good, but he is still around and he will be doing a review with me uh, when we come back after the news segment into the features segment. So, of course, stay tuned for that. <laughs> This is Eugene Washington, and you are listening to Doctor Who Podshock. 
Listen to what people are saying about the Sci-Fi Sea Cruise. Dan called me up and said uh, we're having a writer's workshop, as well as doing this cruise, as well as going to Mayan ruins. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm like, all right, all right, I'll come. As a writer, I want to get more tips, find out a little bit more about what can help me in my craft. You're basically taking a vacation with the actor, even though it's not planned that way. It just happens. It was just a chance to meet fans, meet people, be sure that I wasn't the only one on the entire planet that was watching it, essentially. I guess just to have fun and hang out with different people. I'm just glad to be in the nice weather. So I would love to do this every year. You'll have a great time, too, meeting your favorite celebrities on the Sci-Fi Sea Cruise. For full information, visit our website at members.aol.com slash sfcruise. That's members.aol.com slash sfcruise. The Sci-Fi Sea Cruise. And we're back with Doctor Who Podshock. And... We're in our feature segment, and we have something special lined up. We're uh, both James and Ken have um, are going to be reviewing the the Stone Rose, but they've both digested the Stone Rose differently. <laughs> uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe James had read the book, and yes, uh, Ken had uh, had heard the radio, uh, not the radio. I'm sorry, the the the, um, the audio book of it. So. Read by David Tennant. Um, by read by David Tennant. So they're both going to review and um, and maybe give us some insight on what are the differences between the two mediums, perhaps. Yes, um, because I've I've not heard the the uh, the audio book myself, but I've been told that it is very good and that David Tennant does a superb job, especially with the. Um, the, the vocal inflections and his accent changes, how he, he voices each different character. Is, is that so, Ken? Uh, yeah, that's true. He does, uh, he does a, a range of voices, including a, a pretty good impression of Billy Piper as Rose. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, you know, he, 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 he definitely captures, I mean, as someone who, who has uh, acted with her for the season, uh, you could see that uh, he really paid attention to... Uh, her mannerisms and her way of saying things. And the same thing goes for Jackie and Mickey and, and, and many of the characters in the story. And it was, uh, he, he had to invent a few characters uh, on his own. And, and each one um, he read out or portrayed in a, in a different way. And it was very interesting. Uh, he has a lively style of read. And the audiobook is abridged, so it moved pretty quickly. Um, right. You know, so it, it's not the exact reading of the book. No, uh, and, and again, I haven't read the book. You, you've read the, the book, and I've only heard the, the audio. Um, but it moved at a pretty good pace. I, I do have a mm -hmm. few questions that I, you know, now that I've heard it, I'd, I'd like to read the book and, and say, okay, well, what did they take out, or is there more details mm -hmm. on certain things? Mm -hmm. Well, it has been quite a while since since I read it. Um, we should mention, of course, that... What's uh, his name? 
The, the author is, of course, Jacqueline Rayner, who um, has written other books uh, for Doctor Who as well. This is And if, she's, if I'm not mistaken, isn't she going to be involved in the upcoming, I don't know if it's the 2007 or 2008 series? Um, she yes, yes, I believe so. And I'm not sure, but I think she's also writing for Torchwood. If okay, not maybe that's where I'm then... thinking. That's perhaps, okay. Yeah, or if it's not, it might be another person, another lady who's writing for Torchwood. But she's definitely been involved in the, the writing of Doctor Who books for quite some time now. I, I must admit that I, I forget um, the previous book that she wrote. Um, it def it wasn't Monsters Inside, it, it, it definitely wasn't The Clockwise Man, so it may, I think it was Winner Takes All, mm. um, if, if memory serves. Anyway, it's irrelevant. Um, but this is the, the seventh uh, adventure in the series, um, in, including, um, of course, the Ninth Doctor's books. Um, and I read it uh, way back in, in August. Um, and I have to say that this book, out of the, the three that were released at the same time, um, being, the, of course, the, the Resurrection Casket and the Feast of the Drowned um, by Justin Richards and, and Stephen Cole, respectively, um, I, I bought all three and, 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 and read one after the other. Um, I generally like to do that with, with the Doctor Who books. Um, but uh, I believe that also all these three books were uh, done simultaneously, uh, released slightly later at a date, the readings by David Tennant. So it may be interesting to, if, if Ken or, or Lewis are going to listen to the, the CDs of the other books to do, to do similar reviews. But I, I thought that this was perhaps the, the weakest of, of, of the three books that I read. I... I, the story was good, it was very complicated, but perhaps that's why I didn't like it so much, is that I, I thought that it was slightly too complicated in places, and that there were certain things that, uh, that I didn't um, enjoy about it, because uh, there were certain things that weren't explained very well, and that well, you just had to take as Without as giving anything away, um, just a, a summary about what the story is about yes, without giving yeah, anything away? That was what I was, I was going oh, to come okay, on I'm to sorry. now. That's quite all right. Um, Basically, what happens is is that um, the book starts off with with Mickey uh, um, informing Rose and the Doctor that there's something interesting that they have to see in the, in the British Museum, and they go there and there is this statue of Rose from Roman times, mm -hmm. um, identical to Rose, even to I mean obviously she's dressed in in Roman garb. But she's even wearing, I think, the same pair of earrings and things like that. That uh, it's, it's almost in, um, very difficult to um, to understand and and and, dis uh, and describe. So of course they naturally travel backwards in time uh, to the Roman era to try and discover uh, what's going on and why there is a statue of Rose and, and all sorts of dastardly things unfoil which of course we don't want to uh, to give away for fear of spoiling the story um, but there were certain elements that was ne was never explained and and you just had to kind of take his red and I I didn't like that about the book I mean it was an interesting concept but it just wasn't clear how some of the things were, were possible um, well, I, I do you do you understand what I mean, Ken, when I when I say uh, that? Actually, they, there's a few um, situations that you just really have to accept that um, this device or this 
thing exists. Correct. Uh, That's exactly really what I mean. No explanation. I mean, it 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 really is quite a fantastic concept. It, the the yes. in the story, and um, I think she captures the essence of Doctor Who a little, the magic and the spirit and the pacing of a, of the current style of of making Doctor Who. But I agree with you that a few things got a little. You know, just they they lacked um, even an attempt at an explanation. Even if it's a fantastic explanation, there should still be something offered. Yeah, because uh, we have to remember that the, okay, Doctor Who is a very wide audience, but these books are primarily written for early teenagers and children, basically. And I, if if I had read this as a as a child, I I don't think I would have understood it very well, and st as I say, there even now there are certain aspects that I still don't fully understand, and I completely appreciate what Jacqueline Rayner was was uh, what she has gone for in this book is that she has wanted to capture the imaginations of, of children and 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 really sort of try and detail the magic of Doctor Who, and I think that she's captured that definitely, but she's perhaps gone a step further. Um, and without really sort of explaining the mechanism of things, and you just have to accept certain things in the book, and and there are lots of twists and turns, which is great because that that's what keep, makes the book interesting. But for me, perhaps it's just me overanalyzing things. But I like to kind of understand the twists and the turns and how they relate to each other and. Because there were so many, and it was quite a complicated story, sometimes it was quite difficult to do that because you really had to sit back and think, okay, well, this has happened, and this affects this, and this affects this, because it's kind of definitely, I think the whole theme of the book is almost cause and effect. Um, and it's, it's, it's very strange in that aspect because you really have to think about how one thing affects another and so on. I think the biggest question... Uh, going into the David Tennant audiobooks uh, was going to be about his performance and and how much ad-libbing or how much of his performance uh, he could alter from from the, uh, the text of the book. And it was difficult to pick up if he was ad-libbing at all. I think the performance, he was allowed to bring whatever he wanted to the read but I don't think he actually mm. had a chance to maybe fl flavor it, uh, you know, what he thought the doctor would say or do. Mm. Mm. Uh, but like you said, he has a, an incredible, a very lively read. Um, his, he would uh, switch, he would code switch from uh, a very direct narration with, you know, and the doctor walked walk down the hall. And then switch into the doctor's voice if the doctor was reading, uh, w was speaking a line of dialogue in his manner of. Uh, David Tennant has a very fast delivery as the doctor. It's very high energy, mm -hmm. and he would deliver the narration in a very straightforward, medium pace, but then was, jump right into his high energy. Did his accent voice. change from Scottish? Yes, it did a yeah. little bit, a little bit. And he mm. did a few other accents, and which made it interesting. A few things that I, I wouldn't expect. And like I said, the 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 uh, impersonations of Jackie and and Rose are are definitely fun. Uh, I would. I'm now anxious to buy the other two in this set. 
Yeah, was I there any was... supplemental materials? There was some talk about like him doing a Q&A or doing some sort of supplemental material in addition to just the books um, in, in these audio packages? No, actually, there's, there is a, um, an interview, a brief interview with, uh, with Jacqueline Rayner at the end mm-hmm. uh, conducted by uh, one of the, the, uh, the guys from Doctor Who magazine. Okay. Uh, that was the only thing that was on there. And um, in comparison to some of the ones that Mark Ayers puts mm. on the end of the missing episodes, which are um, very, they're recorded very well. This one actually sounded like perhaps the author from, from DWM just, you know, went by the house or did it by phone or something. It was, the, the audio quality was, was not, very, mm-hmm. not very good for the interview. But again, it's, it's a brief interview with the author who gets a chance to kind of tip us off to her, um, you know her Doctor Who, uh, her her what what she takes from Doctor Who, and you know what she wanted to bring to the table as an author. So mm. it, it's it's a brief interview. You know it's not something that would air on radio or anything. So it is what it is, and it's it's a quick peek into the mm-hmm. author's mind. But the the overall quality of the the discs and and the performance of David Tennant really very well done. Um, and as James mentioned about the story, there there were some. Uh, you know, a few plot holes, and the story overall was, uh, you know, in a TARDIS groan kind of thing, maybe a three or a three and a half TARDIS groans, but um, I thought adding David Tennant to the read and and the way he did things and uh, brought it up a bit. It made the the experience worthwhile, and, and like I said, the pacing was good. The, whoever did the the uh, the abridgment of the novel was well-paced, well-thought-out. Because mm. apparently, and I thought maybe it was just uh, plot holes because of the story being abridged, but apparently James saying even in the novel um, that a few things weren't explained. Yes, I mean, I, I don't want to obviously explain too much of the story, and I can't really communicate with you what uh, is missing because it's been a, a while since I've read it, but I'll definitely agree that I would give it probably three TARDIS groans out of five, a possible five. Um, I mean, I th- I'm just reading through some um, some reviews uh, earlier um, uh, to gear up and remind myself about the book and, and what it was about and everything, and one of the, one of the um, reviews on, on Amazon uh, says uh, that the headline is a challenging read, best not attempted while stoned. <laughs> obviously Despite the refer- name. <laughs> well, obviously in reference wow. to the book and um, other certain substances. Well, um, <laughs> well now, that, now, see, I haven't read the book or heard the audio book, so, but now the, the title makes sense now that you explained to me that they found this statue of Rose, hence Stone Rose. And um, Actually, when you first said it to me, it reminded me of uh, going back to the fourth doctor in the in the story the face of evil where he finds his face carved into the side of a mountain and um you know the doctor himself so it's not the first time that um the doctor's sort of encountered a um something from his future or past in his own you know in in the form mm. of a statue or a monument mm. Mm. yeah it was it was a very clever story and you could tell that the author had really thought carefully and thought hard about how to progress but I think that it was just perhaps a little bit too complicated for me which is why I thought that there were plot holes and um, 
And perhaps that's why you thought so too, Ken. Even it probably wasn't helped that the fact that the book was abridged. I, I wasn't aware that it was abridged on audio CD, but I, I suppose that perhaps it had to be just to fit the content onto the CD. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the book, but I have to say, out of the, the, the three that were released at the time, The Feast of the Drowned and The Resurrection Casket, uh, the other two, I thought that this was perhaps the, the weaker of the, of, the, of the books. But that's just my opinion, and um, I, I would definitely recommend to read it because it is a, ver a very clever story, and I think perhaps just the, maybe the fact that it was so clever, it, that, that's, maybe that's why it put me off it a little bit. Mm. All right. Very good. Thank you both, James and Ken, for this great review and insight on The Stone Rose. And it's a pleasure. <laughs> yes. And I, I think now Ken, unfortunately, is um, going to... Bowing out due to illness, yes. Yeah. I hope yes. you feel better, Ken. We really... Yes. You know, our hearts yeah. are with you and hope you feel better. Thank you for coming along uh, despite nastiness. Sorry, mate. Go on. I said I, I did my homework this week. I listened to the audio book. I, I came prepared. And then nature, <laughs> nature interfered. Mm. Well, it's that time of the year here. It's October, middle of October. Uh, in fact, today's the 15th. It's right deadpan in the middle of October. And that's when all these little bugs seem to go around. And you know. Yeah, with the changing up. of the seasons yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good, man. So I'm sorry you're not feeling too good, but hopefully you'll be better for next week when uh, we'll be recording 56. Mm. <laughs> All right, man. All right. We'll have a good one. Take care. Feel better, Ken. You got it, guys. All right. Ta-ra. Okay. So moving along, we have... Um, well, first, let me... We, we should thank um, Doc... Doth Skeptical, who's known on our forums as, as, as I just said, Doth Skeptical. And he's been, if you have noticed in, um, I don't know for how long now, but I, I, over the past few months on Doctor Who Podchock, sometimes you'll hear an opening, as you did in this episode of Doctor Who Podchock, with um, sort of a, um, in a David Ledman style, you know, a, a bit humorous little opening. Um, traditionally, Ken does this, but uh, Darth Skeptical has been recording these little openings for us, and we're very grateful for him. Uh, for doing this he's mm. doing a great job with it and um like i said it, it's it's a mix of humor and 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 uh doctor who um 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 trivia embedded into it and um so everyone can appreciate it so uh he he did it in this episode and he's also done this review of space museum which we're gonna uh go into right now so uh once again thank you so much doc skeptical for uh, for for doing these intros for us and for for doing this review of Space Museum, which is a classic William Hartnell uh, story. Models or pictures? It's us. Yes. Exhibits in a space museum. Can you explain it, Doctor? Short answer? No. No, Doctor, you got nothing here. That's why we're going to spend the next few minutes grasping at straws to understand how a handkerchief is better than a towel for the modern galactic hitchhiker. 
how Vicky apparently knows a lot more than she was initially telling us, how guest casting should only be done by a certified professional, what Boba Fett is doing leading a revolution, why John Nathan Turner was a silly, silly man, and most importantly, how a crusty old doctor from the 1960s shines amidst the crap that is the Space Museum. Turn in your hymnals to season number two, kids. My name's Darth Skeptical, and these are the Skeptical Diaries. So, 1965, Vicki, Ian, Barbara, all traveling with old Billy Boy. They're in their clothes from last week's adventure, the Crusade. And I'm going to stop right there. Remember when the doctor did period costumes? Wasn't that great? Now it's all, you got to get into the times, Rose, but me, I'm good in synthetics from the future. I'll change my jumper, flash some psychic paper, and I'll fit right in. But you, Victorian gown. Come on, girl, hit the wardrobe. Anyway, focus, Space Museum. Tardis crew in costumes from the past. Then, not so much. They're suddenly back to their standard dress. The questions ensue. What happened? Why can't we remember the last few minutes? Why is Vicky breaking glassware, then having it magically reassemble in her hand? Time and relativity. That's where the answer lies. I dare say it yes. does, Doctor, but we'd be a lot happier if you would explain it yes, to yes, us. Yes, yes, I know. Well, at the moment, there isn't uh, time. Now, just pay attention, will you? And so the crew attempts to listen, but the docs got no explanations. They land on a barren world and go outside, still bothered by their missing few minutes. When they do, they discover that they're not leaving behind any footprints and that no one they encounter can detect their presence. They can't talk to anyone. They can't change the world around them in any way. They're ghosts. As they explore, they go into a big building full of unusual stuff. Why not a museum in space? Hmm? I always thought I'd find one someday. So, just like in the 2005 episode Dalek, we've met ourselves a collector of alien trash. There's a Dalek, various ray guns, tons of alien debris, and other mementos from the series so far. When they go around a corner, they find something that shocks them even more. There they are. As they puzzle on how they came to be behind glass, Vicky suddenly pipes up. Time. Like space. Although a dimension in itself also has dimensions of its own. So you know about it, child. Hmm. We must have a little chat sometime. Hmm? Yes, you see, we really are in those cases. But we're also standing here, looking at ourselves from this dimension. Well, it's horrible. Those faces, our faces just staring. No, Babs. What's horrible is that Vicky knows a damn thing about this. What the hell are you doing, girl? Didn't we just pick you up a couple of episodes ago, living in what Chris Farley would have called a van down by the river? Since when did you, you know, know anything? But, no, she does, and thus the premise of the episode is set. The TARDIS crew have been displaced in time, and they are glimpsing their futures when they look at those cases. To avoid that future coming true, the crew try to figure out what will lead to their eventual capture 
and to somehow change history. So they split up and try to find out enough about the world around them to get out of the time trap. Along the way, some of them encounter the Morocks and some the Xerons. The Morocks are the old oppressive regime responsible for building the museum as a repository of their conquests. The Xerons, led by none other than a young Boba Fett, well, okay, Jeremy Bullock, are the natives of this planet who are being subjugated by the Morocks, but can't seem to figure out how to start a revolution. It's thus up to the TARDIS crew to not only get out of the time trap, but to help the Xerons get out from under. That then is the basic plot of the Space Museum. What did I think about it? Well, let me find a few words. Crap. Rubbish. Caca del Toro. A lot in the Space Museum is, well, I guess I'll give in to the cliché, cringeworthy. I don't mean the another base under siege, please. A good companion is one with big breasts. CSO backgrounds are cool. Cartmel is a genius kind of crap. I mean the real deal, even for an episode of Doctor Who. The guest stars almost uniformly make poor acting choices. Nerve gas, described as lethal, is survived for the better part of a whole episode with the use of a flimsy, not to mention shared, handkerchief. The music from about the first half of episode two forward is questionably appropriate at best. Vicky, as we've already discussed, is suddenly a genius, and she reprograms a security computer later in the story, despite never having displayed the slightest inclination for such work before. Worse, how is she clever enough to do all this, but too damn stupid to realize that the easiest, best hope for overcoming the time paradox was just to send one person back to the TARDIS to wait inside, while the other three made their ways back separately. As if that weren't enough, there's the unbelievable gall of the final moments of Episode 4. The Dalek teaser at the end makes next week's episode, The Chase, look like we're going to be in for a freaking epic. If you've ever seen The Chase, you know how wrong that is. And don't get me started on the explanation of the time loop that causes the central plot issue in the first place. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's just dumb. So yeah, I get why many people don't like this thing. Still, I love this story. Episode 1 is, I'm sorry, the best opening First Doctor episode outside of An Unearthly Child. It's intriguing, atmospheric, and aside from Vicky's sudden mental expansion, a smooth-as-silk investigation of what made the early TARDIS crew tick. Sure, it's let down by the rest of the episodes, but I defy a First Doctor virgin to watch Episode 1 and not think, Wow, this is way better than I thought it was going to be. Taken as a whole, the very best thing about Museum is that it's a direct answer to the Aztecs, a story I feel is massively overrated. Both stories are directly centered on the notion of changing history, but only this one gives us an answer that would make Christopher Eccleston proud. 
Here, the TARDIS crew is, in the Tenth Doctor's words, part of a Vince. There's no hypocrisy here. There's a doctor and his companions proud of influencing others to seize control of their lives. Though the how of it bugs me, Vicky might as well be Rose. The Doctor and his TARDIS crew are here in full, unapologetic rebellion of the Time Lords. History damn well can and should be altered if it helps some kids be better people and saves our heroes' hides. And what better hides they are, too. Museum gives us strong performances by all the regulars. J&T should have been watching this episode before he blamed some of the problem of season 19 on a crowded TARDIS. Sorry, no, but a four-person crew works in the right hands. The companion interaction, along with the solo journeys, are fair, equitable, and, what's more, meaningful. I may not have liked the details of the time loop plot, but I certainly enjoyed its effects. A seemingly insoluble problem tends to take people to places they've not traveled. And for all its technobabble, the time loop certainly gives us an interesting Barbara, Ian, and Vicky. As for those guest stars, yeah, the script was there for them, and the actors, not to mention the costume and makeup departments, blew it. But what we get is nevertheless intriguing to me. See, I guess I read the two groups, the Xerons and the Moroks, as equally impotent, both needing a good, doctorly kick up the backside. I like the idea that the status quo is being maintained on inertia more than reasoned action. This is a disused part of the stale old Moroc Empire, and the contingent here are very little more than the dregs of the Moroc military. They really are about as competent as modern-day museum guards. For me, it's extremely satisfying that there's no explanation as to why the Morak governor is so mean-spirited. It's been like this for so long, he's actually got no explanation to be as he is. In a story that's about predestination paradoxes for our heroes, it's altogether appropriate that the featured characters should be trapped themselves. To get out of their time trap, the TARDIS crew must make the two groups on the planet break out of this feeble, or what some reviewers have called boring, stalemate. The nature of that status quo appeals to me as an American. I read the whole situation as a loose metaphor for the American Revolution, with the Morocks being the kind of not-so-prime British officers serving in North America, the Xerons being Americans in the 1760s, Vicky being, well, Sam Adams, and the rest of the TARDIS crew, well, they're the French. Maybe it's a stretch, and I'm sure it's not intentional, but that's just what I saw in the story. Even if the writer didn't intend that close a level of metaphor, I think the story deserves great credit for two key themes. A revolution ain't a revolution until action has been taken, and an empire that forgets its history is doomed to fall. Most importantly, though, the episode gives us an early glimmer of the modern Doctor. Gone is the crusty old you-can't-change-history Time Lord of Season 1. In his place is a man who inspires change. But we must have changed the future. We just must have done, must we, Vicky? Or were all the things that happened planned out for us? Mm. Four separate journeys. Four choices that led all the time closer to here. 
Maybe it would have changed things if I hadn't left that museum. Yes, and perhaps I shouldn't have got myself captured. Hmm? <laughs> well, if you're all joining in, I suppose I... Oh, what's the use? It hasn't happened yet, you know. Yes, Vicky's quite right. Quite right. Hmm? It's only a matter of time, isn't it, Doctor? Well, it's not necessarily my boy. But, Doctor, what can we do now? My to... dear Barbara, you must try and remember the short time we've been on this planet. We've met people, spoken to them, and who knows, we might have even influenced them. That's what I was trying to say. Yes, say I knew was... you were, child. Yes, yes, <laughs> I knew you were. You mean we don't necessarily have to change our own future? It could be changed for us. Quite so, yes. Quite so, my boy. Like the revolution. Like the revolution indeed, baby. See, whatever else is right or wrong about this episode, it's all worth it for that one scene. Because that really is the theme of the entire series, as far as I'm concerned. It's forgotten in most episodes of classic Doctor Who, but it's borderline wondrous to find it here, in lowly season number two. This is the Doctor I adore. Not specifically Billy Boy, but the idea of a guy who knows a hell of a lot more than the people around him gently guiding them to find the better angels of their nature. And I don't mind having to dig through the crap to find him. Good thing Russell T. Davies apparently has a shovel too. How many TARDIS grows does this thing get? That's a complicated question. It probably deserves something like a two for the plot, but a five for the theme a five for the acting of the regulars, and a one for the embarrassing job of the guests. And at least a four for its relevancy to current Doctor Who. So, let's call it a three, say that it's definitely one that's received far too little attention from fans, and close up the diaries for this podcast. Until next time, I'm Darth Skeptical. That was really, really terrific. Yeah. I thought, I'm really looking forward to hearing more of your reviews, mate, because that was incredible. Uh, I, I have to say, Doth Skeptical has been, you know, very active in our forums, and, uh, you know, many times he'll may, um, post something contrary to what I was thinking or my thoughts, and, you know, regardless if you agree with him or disagree with him, he always makes you think things out and maybe think look at things from a different perspective perhaps and maybe reevaluate your own opinion and um and that's what i really like about dot skeptical is that that um you know many times he, he does that he doesn't really you know he, if he posts something he'll back it up with with some logical thought and um and, and thinking behind it so um and and as as this review says as this review indicates itself uh, it, it's, it starts off, at, it sounded like he was just going to trash the whole thing, but uh, he, he saw um, a, a, a story with various different levels to it, and, and um, you can appreciate some aspects of it while still trashing other aspects of it, which, um, uh, which is great. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself, Lewis. I think uh, that summed up his review nicely, and it's refreshing to know that... Um, at least if you perhaps don't like the, a particular plot, you can at least uh, see what uh, they've been trying to achieve and at least recognize that the acting is still superb and, 
you know, it's still a terrific Doctor Who story, even if maybe the the plot just isn't up to standard or or what you would expect. So it's refreshing that he's at least looked at it in a in a good light. Perhaps mm-hmm. that's what we need for something like Love and Monsters or something to bridge it, the gap. It's it's been a long time since I saw a Space Museum. It, after you know hearing this, I'm like <laughs> want to go watch it again. Uh, I do remember. Uh, fairly, you know, enjoying it as a overall, you know, I, I, it'd be nice to go watch it again and now watch it from an, an older person's perspective. Um, not that I'm not, not that I'm really old, but, <laughs> but it's, it's been, I would say at least maybe 12 years since I've, I've seen space museums. So, um, it, it'd be interesting to watch it now and see my take on it now, as opposed to the last time I saw it. Hmm. So uh, thank you so much, Doth Skeptical, and we're looking forward to more of your Doth Skeptical uh, diaries. I think it was this, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Skeptical Diaries or whatever. But yeah, it's going to be great to hear from you, man. I, I hope you do send more stuff in, and uh, you're welcome to at any time, mate. And that goes for all of our listeners. If you've got a review of a specific episode or would like to raise some issues and and get people talking and thinking about episodes of Doctor Who, that's what Podshock is here for, because mm-hmm. it is as much our podcast as it is yours. We want people to contribute, and that's really what makes this podcast what it is, is content from you guys, mm-hmm. not just you know Lewis, Ken, and myself uh, rambling on about a particular book or, or, or episode. It's just fantastic to have interaction um, from all sorts of fans all over the world, and we can't exactly. say that enough. This is a, a dialogue, a means of a dialogue between Doctor, you know, in, um, in Doctor Who fandom, and um, and this, this podcast is by fans for fans. So it's um, it, you know everyone's welcome to be involved with it, and uh, we can't promise that everything's going to be on the podcast. Uh, we do get a lot of contributions, so but um, you know, and we can't promise the timeliness of it. You know, especially if it's yes, you know, we're, but we will you know, endeavor to get, you know, as much as we can on the show. And we'll always be here because I know that things like news and things, we're not going to be your first stop for that. But what I'd like to think is that you listen to the podcast to hear our interpretation and think about it yourself because uh, news sites tend to give things in a very matter-of-fact kind of way and don't really put a particular slant on things, whereas I, I like to think that we give an opinion about it and and leave it open for discussion so that you guys can comment so it not only goes just for things like uh episode reviews or whatever but also what we're talking about in the news uh, you know it's that also is applicable please do write in or or send us a voicemails or communicate in whatever way you can to express to us you know what you think about a particular news story even if it's uh, if you feel it's worth commenting on because that's what it's about because it's quite an ironic situation, I think, in that this week has been probably the quietest ever in terms of emails that we have ever received. We've had about uh, two or three, which is why um, I think uh, we're going to hold out till next week to to do a feedback segment so that we have more emails and, and, and voicemails and can get through them at a steady pace rather than just reading out one or two. Um, so yeah, you know the addresses by now. Of course, feedback at podshock.net. You can of course ring the Podshock public call box if you are in North America, which is two zero six eight 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 four who. 
and that being 4946 for those of you who don't have a uh, keypad with the letters on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, if you use Skype or the Gizmo project, you can uh, contact us there. The, the username is simply, of course, uh, Doctor Who Podshock or just, no, just Podshock, right? Yeah, uh, for, for Gizmo and for Skype, it's Podshock is the, yes. is the name. So just uh, right. send your voicemail to Podshock. And uh, we will also, um, if you, if, if all this, you know, is beyond you, there's, if you have a microphone on your computer and if you, there's also, um, audio provides a service, a recorder, and you can go to our feedback page and there's a little button there for the audio recorder and you can, uh, leave your feedback that way too. And this way you don't need any audio editing software. As long as you have a computer with a microphone, it will work. Good stuff. It's fantastic that you guys do get in touch, and we really do look forward to it. And as we say, although we are skipping out feedback this week, usually we are completely inundated, so we do apologize if we cannot get through everything, but we do endeavor to do our best. And, and just as a reminder, when you do send us feedback, if you could just indicate where you're from, uh, it, it, it just gives us an idea. Um, it's always great when we give, uh, you know, when we announce your feedback that this is so and so from so and such and such. Since we're, we, this is a global community, and we have people, you know, submitting um, from all over the world, every, from from Asia, from uh, Australia, from everywhere, from you know. So obviously, Europe and and the U.S. and North America, and so anyway, just indicate where you're from if you can. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Anyway, so I guess that wraps it up for another Doctor Who Podshock. Yeah, it um, certainly does. Time sure flies when you're having fun. It does indeed. So uh, we'll check you out next week and uh, hope you have a good one. Yes. And, uh, and thanks for listening. And on behalf of Ken, uh, who stopped out earlier, he says um, he wishes, his, I'm sure he wishes everyone well as, as well. And, um, and so, I'll, and. As behalf of Lewis, which I am half of Lewis. I don't know who the other half is. <laughs> Just the half. <laughs> uh, I wish everyone well as as also. <laughs> yeah. Have a good one, guys, and Take we'll care. check you next Cheers. week. Bye-bye. Bye. been listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan-run GallifreyanEmbassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. Yeah. <laughs>
Right. Mm. Oh, that's better. Ah, good. Well, now, we seem to have materialized much quicker than I thought. Doctor, we've got our clothes on. Well, I should hope so, dear boy. I should hope so. Hi, I'm Lawrence Lessig from Stanford Law School, and I wanted to tell you about an issue called network neutrality. Network neutrality has been the golden rule of the Internet, a principle originally called the end-to-end principle that basically means that similar data bits traveling over the network should be treated similarly. That means web pages should be treated the same, whether served from Google or from Wikipedia. That means voice over IP should be tr- treated the same, whether it's coming from a cable company's voice over IP service or an independent voice over IP service. That means podcasts should be treated the same, whether they're Republican or Democrat, and video should be treated the same, whether served from private video sources or from special Google video sources. Regardless of whether you're an individual or a large corporation, what net neutrality means is that we have a level playing field to assure that the maximum range of competition innovation happens for this network. But soon this principle may change. Broadband providers have demanded the freedom to begin to accept payments to prefer some people's content over other people's content, to begin to build fast lanes on the internet, meaning everything that doesn't pay shifts to the slow lane. And the principle of their desire is that they have the right to pick and choose the innovations and content that happens on the internet. Now, this isn't about paying more money for higher bandwidth. It's about paying to go to and stay at the front of the line. The telecommunications bill currently being debated in Congress has taken a blind eye to the importance of net neutrality historically, to the growth and innovation of this network. But you can change that. Please go to savetheinternet.com to learn more about how net neutrality works and how you can help to preserve it.